I hope that uh, many of us were able to take to heart uh, the things that we talked about last Sunday morning as we're talking about living a life that is victorious. And last week we talked about the idea of overcoming sin and how we can do that. And primarily God's Word teaches us that in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin. And so sometimes we get the idea that, well, that's just an easy thing. Well, I've memorized Scripture, I know Scripture, I'm just going to apply it, blah, 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 blah. But really, do we take the time to really know God's Word? And uh, I've been convicted that we have lost our foundation in America. And we need to get back to what's most important, and that is God's Word. It is the very foundation of our country, and yet it's the very thing that gets pushed off to the back burner. In fact, uh, several years ago, I preached a message on the importance of the Word of God, and I ran through several statistics of what our world says about the Word of God. And uh, so I, being interested in that again, I went back and tried to find some more newer statistics about that. And I was able to come across several, which is quite alarming. According to December of 2017, which is one of the most recent polls I could find, the previous polls that I used were from 2013 and 14. But according to December of 2017 Gallup poll, only 28% of Americans polled, and there were tens of thousands of people polled. But only 28% believe the Bible to be the literal Word of God. Isn't that sad? But what's even more sad is that the numbers are divided amongst believers and unbelievers. Those who claim to be Christians, those that claim to know Jesus, those that claim to go to church, the numbers aren't much different. And that's sad. If we lose the foundation of the Word of God, what do we have to anchor anything to? And so, Washington, D.C., fewer than one in four Americans, that's 24% actually, now believe the Bible is the actual Word of God and to be taken literally, word for word. Opposed to the 26% who believe it's a book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. And what's interesting about this Gallup poll that was taken, it says for the first time in Gallup's four, decade, four decades of taking this poll, for the first time in their four-decade trend, this is the first time that biblical literalism has not surpassed biblical skepticism. More people are skeptical than actually believe it today. And that's the first time in 40 years of taking the same poll. What does that tell us? That there is a trend in America where we're saying we are getting ourselves further away from the foundation of the Word of God and further away from believing it's even God's words into the fact that we believe it's just a book of man's words, fables, legends, whatever. It doesn't really matter. There's another poll I came across that Gallup did for the American Bible Society. And uh, hopefully I can put these two polls together. It says, more than half Americans think the Bible has too little influence on culture. They've seen moral decline, yet only one in five Americans read the Bible on a regular basis, according to the survey. We see America in decline, but only one in five will read the Bible that they believe might help it. So more than three-quarters of Americans, actually 77%, think the nation's morality is headed downhill, according to this recent survey. The survey showed the Bible is still firmly rooted in American soil. In fact, 80% of respondents said that they own a Bible. In fact, 
on average, every Bible or every household in America, when they averaged it out, it came to 4.4 Bibles. I don't know how you get the point four, but 4.4 Bibles in every house in America. What's that tell us? Everybody has a Bible sitting on a shelf somewhere. My question would be, what are you doing with it? What are they doing with it? He goes on to say, he says, we have an awful lot of people who realize they're overweight, but they don't follow a diet. People realize the Bible has values that would help us in our spiritual health, but they just don't read it. goes on to say that if they do read it, the majority, 57% of people that were polled, only read their Bibles four times a year or less. And only 26% of Americans said that they read their Bible on a regular basis, which meant four or more times a week. 26% of those that claim. And then he goes on to say at the very end, younger people also seem to be moving away from the Bible. A majority, 57% of those ages 18 to 28, read their Bibles less than three times a year, if at all. And the Barna Group conducted the State of the Bible study for American Bible Society using over a thousand telephone interviews and over a thousand online surveys with a margin of error for combined data plus or minus two percent. So they're pretty accurate that America is walking away from the Bible. One last one. It says five facts on how Americans view the Bible and other religious texts. Number one, about a third of Americans, 35 percent, say they read the scripture at least once a week. That's a little bit up from American Bible societies, from 28 to 35%. Number two, three-quarters of Christians say they believe the Bible is the Word of God. So 75% believe the Christ, of Christians believe. So that means 25% don't even believe it's the really Word of God, even though I claim to be Christian. But while about four in ten, I'm sorry, 83% believe that of Muslims believe the Quran is the Word of God, and Far fewer, only 37% of Jewish people believe the Torah is the Word of God. And by the way, there are other statistics that Jewish people don't even read the Bible, if ever. Like It's like under 10%. Number three, Christians who make up the majority of U.S. adults, 71%, are divided over how to really interpret the Bible. While about four in ten Christians, that's 39%, say the Bible's text is the Word of God, should be taken literally... 36 say it should not be interpreted literally or expressed in another or no opinion. So 18% of those that answered said it's not even the word of God. Number four. In 2014, about four in ten Christians, 40%, said reading the Bible or other religious materials is an essential part of what being a Christian means to them personally. But another 37% say reading the Bible is not important, and not essential to being a Christian. In fact, and then the remaining 21% say reading the Bible is not an important part of the Christian identity at all. If we don't anchor ourselves to the Bible, what are we anchoring ourselves to? If we're not standing on the Word of God, what are we standing on? And as a church, if we don't take a stand, as the old song says, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. And it comes down to a lot of man's opinion. So this morning I want to preach to us on the topic of the importance of the Word of God. And some of, the, some of us, if you've gone through our discipleship material, this is part of Lesson 1. So a lot of this came from Lesson 1 in our discipleship material, the importance of the Word of God. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. 
And as you're turning there, I just want to take a moment to remind us that if you're interested in reading the Bible more, you need a chart, you need a, a, a tool to help you, we have those. Um, I, I was amazed that, you know, and, and those of you that know me, I don't post a lot on Facebook. If I see a good article, I'll repost it, I'll reshare it. But I put something on there recently that um, I basically said, I am of the firm belief that people should read through the Bible every year. Uh, someone put that post and I reshared it. And I said, I agree with this. It helps us get grounded, stay grounded in God's word. It teaches us what God wants to know. Wants us to know, helps us in our relationship with him. And I didn't look to see who liked it, but you get all these like, 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 those of you that are Facebook Facebook fanatics. Like, 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 like. But I wonder how many of us who truly click like truly get into God's word. I want to challenge us all to get back to that. Get back to where we have a vibrant relationship with God. This is how God speaks to us. This is how we speak to him. And without this two-way communication, the relationship cannot be strong. Just like in a marriage relationship. If one is doing all this and the other one's walking away, communication has not taken place. It's only when there's a giving and receiving of communication that the relationship becomes stronger. It's no different with our walk with God. So, let's look look to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the main message. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. And I ask, God, that you would speak to all of our hearts, Lord. And, Lord, that maybe for many of us in this congregation this morning, Lord, it might be a reminder to get back at it. Get back to the place where we're spending time with you and reading your word. Lord, help us remove all the excuses, all the rationales of why we don't do it. Lord, help us not to find some justification for not spending that time with you and reading your word. God, help us to desire, as your word says, the sincere milk of the word, that we may grow thereby. And Lord, that we would not just stay on the milk, that we would dig into the meat of the word as well. That we would make it a part of who we are as your children. Lord, I pray that you give clarity of thought and speech this morning, Lord. I pray that you convict our hearts, Lord, of the necessity of making this, Lord, not just in theory the foundation of our lives, but in practice. So, Lord God, would you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The question often comes, well, who wrote the Word of God? Where did it come from? And the answer is quite obvious, that it came from the Holy Spirit working through the hearts of man to write these things down. And just in case there's any question as to what that might, uh, might look like, how that might be developed, he says very clearly, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is, a, is of any private interpretation. You think for a moment, what does that mean? What does that even say when it's not of any private inter- interpretation? In other words, when we look at the Bible, when we look especially, we look at throughout the New Testament, we see that Paul wrote so many of the Pauline epistles, and we have Mark, and we have John, and we have all these people who wrote. What does it mean that they did not, that no prophecy came from any private interpretation? It means just that. It means that Paul didn't sit down and say, huh, I wonder what I'll write today. I wonder, oh, you know what, I saw this really cool thing that Jesus did. I think, I think I'll just tell everybody about it. I think I'll blog about that on Facebook. It's not that. The Holy Spirit were working through these men as they wrote the Word of God. In other words, it's not man's opinions 
though man has several of them. It's not man's experiences, though there are many of those. It's not man's thoughts. It's not man's prejudices. It's not man's biases. It is all the Holy Spirit working in through the heart of man, God speaking through them to write what he wanted man to know. So what's the point of all this? Is that we have lost the foundation. If we don't come back to the place where we realize that it is God has given us his word so that we can know him and know how to live for him, we don't have anything to stand on. And so we've we got to come back to the place where the Bible truly is our foundation. It is the origin. And here's the other thing. If a man has an opinion of it, if man has his prejudices built into it, if man has his, his experiences wrapped around it, then it comes down to man to decide what part is good and what part is bad. What part is real, what part is not. What part is truth, what part is not. And if any one part of it is not true, what makes any part of it not true? So when you start piecemealing out the Word of God and saying certain things are true and certain things are not, and it comes down to man's opinions and biases and prejudices and whatever else, that's shaky ground that we stand on. That's thin ice that we're standing on. And so we have to come back to the place where it's all true or it's none true. I hope you understand that. So what it comes down to, what is the Bible's purpose? Well, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 20. We're going to be jumping around just a little bit this, this morning. I hope you're okay with that. John chapter 20 and verse 31. What is the purpose of God's Word? In verse 30 it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in His name. He says very clearly, He says, I've written these things so that you may know Jesus Christ. So that you can know Him. And He said, there are other things that are not written in the book, but these things I've highlighted so that you can have a relationship with Me, Jesus says. And then you look across in chapter 21, verse 25, it says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. When you think about that, that is amazing. He said, there are so many things that if I could write them all, he said, the world could not even contain all the things that Jesus did. But he says, I wrote the important things. He goes, I wrote the things that I wanted you to know so that you can have a relationship with me. So if we're one of those that has a Bible on the shelf somewhere collecting dust, it's time that we take it out and read it so that we can know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, These things have I written unto you who believe that you may what? Wish? That you hope? That you can think? No, he says, these things have I written unto you, believe that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. I don't have to wonder my whole life through whether or not when I die, I'm going to go to heaven or not. I have that concrete faith. I have that concrete trust, knowing that God said, I've given you this word so that you can know for certain that I'm your Savior, that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, that you'll be with me when you die. I don't have to wonder. And I have to wonder whether it's not I do enough good or, do, or don't do enough good or do, you know, help enough people or don't help enough people or whatever, however it is that defines. And there are so many people, and I've talked to so many people who said, well, you know, we're all going to get there. You know, some people are going to get there as Baptists. Some people are going to get there as Lutherans. And some people are going to get there as you know, Pentecostals. And some people are going to be the Church of God, Church of Christ. And some people are going to get there as Lutherans. Or... Wrong. <clears throat> Nobody's going to get to heaven 
except for through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not being a Baptist. It's not being a Methodist. It's not being any other denomination that you can think of under your head. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this book has to be the preeminent way in which we build that relationship. So he says, these things have I written to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. And I'm amazed to just couple with that Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. Let me ask you a question. Are you ashamed of this book? I, I, I have to be honest with you. There have been times in my life, it's kind of like an ebb and flow, kind of a mountaintop valley experiences, where there have been times where I'm like, I don't care what you think, I'm standing here. And I don't care who knows it, and I don't care what they think about it, I'm going to stand here. And then there's been other times in my life where I say, well, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I don't want to rock the boat because I'm already on shaky ground. And the older I get, I realize, you know what? I've got to stand firm. And it doesn't matter whether you agree with me or not. It doesn't matter whether or not you like what I like or not. The bottom line is it matters what God thinks. You used to have this phrase, well, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it. If God said it, it settles it. And that's where we must stand, folks. We have got to get back where we're standing on God's word, and this is the firm ground that we're not going to shake on. So for what is the Bible profitable? Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Remember, these are familiar verses this week on the importance of the Word of God. In 2 Timothy, if you would turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we have to understand a couple of things as we go into this. It says not just parts of Scripture, not just certain texts of Scripture. What does he say here? All Scripture. That means the flood really took place. That means that Jonah really was swallowed by a fish. It means that an axe head really did float on the water. It means that a donkey really did talk. You look at all these things that in man's mind and how man reasons, this cannot have happened. This should not have happened. There's no way it could have happened. And we have to come back to the fact that if God says it did, it did. I don't have to understand how or why. I don't have to reason it in my mind to make it make sense. I just have to believe it and apply it. So he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration, and the very word inspiration means what? God breathed. That means God was working through the Holy Spirit to work through the heart of man to write down what he wanted man to know. It's inspired of God, every bit of Scripture. And then he says it's profitable for four things. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And as it says in our discipleship material, what is teaching? So that we know what's right. Man doesn't have to wonder, I wonder if this is right, if this is sin, if this is not sin. If we read God's word, he's going to teach us what is right. And then he says, profitable for rebuking. In other words, so that we know what's wrong. You know what, as you go through life, it's amazing how often that we don't have to teach our kids how to do wrong. Hey, Johnny, let me teach you how to tell a lie today. You, you now, listen up here. This is going to be very important for your life here. Let me teach you how you tell a lie. Do we do that? Johnny, let me tell you how to steal something. I mean, I want you to get good at this so that you can really get away with some good things. Johnny, let me just tell you how to tick somebody off and get right in their face. Do we have to do that? Is anybody? I mean, you think he's a crazy person that would actually do that as a parent, right? But isn't it amazing how those things are natural? 
Because the heart of man is what? Deceitfully wicked. And God's word says, who can know it? So we have to teach our kids what is right, what is wrong. And we work with them. But the Bible is for doctrine. It teaches us doctrine, what is right. It rebukes us so we know what's wrong. And then correct it so that we can get it right. So that when we are in the wrong direction, we can say, hey, this is the wrong direction. We can repent of it. We can forsake these sins and then turn the other direction. So we correct and then train how to keep it right. You see, all of us need those things. And God's word is what he has given to us to help us with those things. So let me give you seven ways, that, for those of you that want to take notes, seven ways that we can respond to God's work in our life. So the first one is found in John chapter 6. So if you would turn your Bible to John chapter 6, we're going to see the first thing that we can do, how we can respond to God's word. John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because of the living words, what happened? How can we respond? Believe and know. I'm just telling you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, the most important thing that you can do today is to believe God's word and to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, there's a lot of things in life that we can live for that are going to end up nothing. In fact, God's word tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And he says at the end of verse 17 that we know that all the things in this world are going to what? Pass away. There are two things that will span the test of time and span the test of eternity. That's the souls of men and the word of God. That's it. So if we anchor our lives in those things and address those things, God will take care of us. So the most important thing we can do, as he said here, verse 68 and 9, he says, you have the words of life. Believe them and know them is how we can respond. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, a few pages over to the right. Acts 17 and verse 11. It says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Two things that they did, and two things that we can learn from these Bereans. Two things that we ought to practice in our lives. Number one, says there right away, that they search the scriptures. You say, well, that's the pastor's job. That's why we pay him, so that he can search the scriptures, and then he can tell us all what to do. No, that is not why you have a pastor. And that's not my job to just tell you what to believe. Although, I will do my best to anchor you into what I believe. You have a responsibility to search the Scriptures and then to see if what I'm saying is really true. Don't just take it at face value that, well, Ken said it, so it must be right. I mean, I hope that I've anchored myself enough in this where there's a presumption, but check it out. Study it for yourself. Know the Word of God. It says they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. But it started with number 11. It says these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of truth. You see, I can know something. I can believe something. But if, I'm, if I don't want to receive it, what good is it? You have the word of God sitting on your shelf, but you don't look at it, don't read it, don't receive it. What good is it? It starts with, I'm going to receive the Word of God. And I'm going to search it. I'm going to examine it to see if what it said is so. 
So number one, we believe and know. Number two, we welcome it, we examine it, we receive it. Number three, 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. All the way to the back there, 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. says, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So let me ask you a question. It says, those that keep his word. What's the idea of keeping? Well, he goes on to explain that. In other words, you're abiding in Christ. You're in him. So if I'm not reading God's word, am I abiding in him? No. See, I can't abide in Christ if I'm not spending time with Him. If I'm not letting the Word of God dwell in me, I'm not abiding with Him. Because He makes it very clear. Verse 4, He says, He who who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His Word, and the idea behind keeping is that I'm applying it, I'm living it out, I'm I'm abiding in Him. Whoever keeps His Word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. So number three, how can we respond to God's word? We keep it. Psalm chapter 119 gives us another one. Number four. Psalm 119 and verse 97. It says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I think another way that we can respond to God's word is to love it. I found out in my life that the things that I love are the things that I give my time, energy, and focus to. How about you? I love my family, so I like to spend time with them. love my wife, love to spend time with her. I love photography, though I don't love it as much anymore because I don't do it much anymore. But reading, love reading, so I always have a stack of books nearby. I find that the things that I love, I invest in. Things that I love, I spend time on. They're part of my life, a big part of my life. But what about us saying that we love the Word of God? but then we don't make it a big part of our life. What is, that, what is it that we're really saying? Well, I, I like it, but I don't really love it. You see, I ask this question to my wife every once in a while, and it's kind of funny because she asked why I asked this. Every once in a while, I ask my wife, I says, do you love me? She goes, well, you know I do. I said, do you like me this week? See, there's a big difference between love and like, right? Anybody following where I'm going with this? I know you love me because God's word says you have to like me. And nowhere does it say thou shalt like your husband. It says you have to love your husband, but it doesn't say you have to like him, right? So I look at her and say, you love me, I know, but do you like me this week? She goes, yeah, I actually do. I'm like, cool. Here's the deal. When you like something or someone, you invest in it. You invest in them. What's your likes? What's your loves? Do you love the Word of God? Do you love your relationship with him? And then do you like him? Are you mad at him? Disappointed in him? Frustrated in him? We have to get back to the word of God because God's word has, in principle, everything we need. And help us correct that wrong thinking. So number one, we believe and know. Number two, we welcome and examine. Number three, we keep. Number four, we love and meditate. Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7 gives us number 5. 
It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. How did he respond to the word? He studied it, he obeyed it, and he taught it. You say, well, that was Ezra. He's a, he's a minor prophet. I mean, he could do whatever he wanted with it. What does that have to do with me? I'm glad you asked, because go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then he goes on towards the middle of the chapter 6, and he says, Parents, I want you to teach this to your children. And how can you teach something unless you study it and apply it to your own life first? So teach it to your children, who will teach it to their children, who will teach it to their children, who will teach it to their children. I wonder how often in our chain, chains of genealogy, in our ancestral levels of family, where someone has neglected their responsibility to study, obey, and teach. I wonder what our world would be different, how our world might be different if we would apply this. Starting in the church and going out and winning the lost. But Ezra said, I'm going to study it, I'm going to be, obey it, I'm going to teach it. And then as we come into the book of Job, chapter 23, find number 6. How should we respond to God's word? Look at Job's example. 23.12 says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I don't know that I could ever say that in my life. I want to be able to say that. I wish I could truly say that. But I don't know that if I'm being honest with myself that I really can. I mean, I love the word of God. I, I found several years ago that every year as I switched translations, as I would read through a new translation every year, I fell in love with the Word all over again. It's like, oh, a different word of viewing it, a different word, you know, switched out or something. I, I fell in love with it all over again. But I don't know that I've ever in my life consistently could say, I think the Word of God is more important than daily food. Because I'm telling you what, I turn sideways, you still see me. I like food. I'd venture to say that most of you are in the same category. But what a response that Job had. I'm going to treasure it. Because it's more necessary than food. I wonder if we could get back to the place where we say, I need to make God's word more important. I need to apply it more. And then lastly, number seven. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 is another familiar passage. I know you all have heard this many times. But 2 Timothy 2, 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. What's it saying there? Rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, he's given us the responsibility to study it. Don't be ashamed of it. Correctly teach it. Make it a part of who we are. Realizing that it's so important. I'm going to give you one more set of things for those of you that like notes. What does God's word do for us? Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. What does God's word do for us? It says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God brings us to the place of knowing Jesus Christ, salvation. Hearing comes first by the reading of the word. Comes by our faith and results in our faith in him. 
So the first thing that the Word of God does for us, it brings us to the point of salvation. Number two, Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Where thou shalt a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to the Word, it cleanses us. It cleanses us. You want to know how to get rid of sin? You want to know how to get rid of guilt? You want to know how to live a life that is righteous and pleasing and holy to God? Get in God's Word. You want to know how to please Him? Get in God's Word. It cleanses us. Psalm 119 and verse 25. Just back a page there. Psalm 119 verse 25 says this. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. It revives us. It brings us to a place of revival. I don't know about you, but do you know what revival means? What does it mean? Let me ask you this question to kind of help give you a definition. Have you ever had a point in your life where you felt closer to God than you are right now? Just kind of think about that just for a moment. Has there ever been a point in your life where you felt closer to God than you are right now? And maybe for some of us, we've gone through a period of just where it's been kind of stagnant. You don't really see anything happening. You don't really see anything changing. Maybe you don't sense God's presence. But then all of a sudden, something in God's Word pops out. And the Holy Spirit uses that to prick your conscience or to change your mind about something that has taken place. And through all that, you start coming closer to God once again. That's revival. Coming back. Renewing the freshness of your relationship and your walk. The Word of God says it revives us. And if you need reviving, get in the Word. Uh, Verse 28 says, You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, wrong verse. Psalm 19, 28. It says, My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. It strengthens us. I remember reading Paul as he was just becoming a Christian. And God got a hold of his heart, his life, and changed him in Acts 9. And Acts 9 says, you know, he says, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Saul is just being converted to Paul and all of his buddies are taking him under his wing, right? Because they loved him so much. You know, they were rejecting him. So is this the guy that was persecuting us? And Barnabas comes along and encourages him and says, hey guys, he's one of us now. Paul begins to go through a, a series of struggles and frustrations and things that he had never experienced before as a new believer in Christ. And he said this, and it's something we all need to remember. It says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, if we go by what we have the ability to do, we will fail. We will fall. We will struggle. But through Christ, we can have the strength to go forward, right? It says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? It's the Holy Spirit working through him. That's why he said in Galatians 2.20, for I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. So he said, I realize that Christ has to be working in me to give me the strength to do what he's called me to do. So the reality is, we have to be in the Word. So it strengthens us. Over to 105, verse 105, Psalm 119, 105, he says this. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What's it say there? The Word of God guides us. Every day, it guides us. 
I have no doubt, and I'll come back to this in a minute, that there is a word, the Word of God will address every principle that we'll ever deal with in our life. Every principle. It may not every, answer every direct question you have because of the wording or the terminology of it, but in principle, it'll answer everything that we need to know. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So we see number six in John 17 that the word of God sanctifies us. It helps us be set apart for God's work. Set apart as his children. And then one more in John chapter 8, if you turn there. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You want freedom? Get God's word, because it frees us. I remember when I was sharing the gospel with somebody years ago, they said, well, if I become a Christian, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't go here, and I can't do that. To them, becoming a Christian was just a new set of rules that I have to live by. It's a long, wrong perspective. You see... Although I probably should have got the manual when I got married, I didn't get it. Should have got it, but I didn't. But I've learned over the years that there are certain things that please my wife and certain things that frustrate her. But the longer I'm in a relationship with her, the more I want to encourage her and bless her. God didn't say, well, I'm going to make you a robot. And as my robot, you are going to read your, my word to you every day for at least 30 minutes. And then you're going to pray to me for 45 minutes. And then you're going to go witness to 32 people every week. And then you're going to go to church four times a week. And you're going to help out with this. And then you're going to give all. He didn't make us robots. But he gave us his word so that we can know how to please him. The word of God frees me. It's not a list of things I have to do or don't have to do. It's a list of things that I can do that if I want to please my Father, I'll implement them into my life because I love Him. Because what's the impetus for all of our actions before God? John tells us that if you love me, you will keep my commands. So whether I'm not obeying Him is just a matter of whether or not I'm truly loving Him or not. Love is my motivating factor for my obedience. I want to close with three verses. The one thing that hasn't changed in history is that this is the most sold book since the history of printing books, the Bible. That's a fact, undeniable. There's been no other book that's been printed more than, more than this book. But here's the amazing fact about that. Throughout history, there have been numerous attempts to get rid of God's Word. Numerous attempts. There have been times in history where they have burned Bibles, where they have destroyed Bibles, where they have dumped them into the lakes, where they have dumped them into the seas. There have been times where people have tried to outright just destroy this book. But, as history also tells us, they've not been successful. In fact, in Psalm chapter 119, verse 89, probably one of the most familiar verses on this subject, says this, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. What's it tell us? It's not going away. And here's the amazing thing about that. If the Word of God is not going away, it means it's unchanging, and we can always anchor our entire life to this book. It doesn't change. It's not going away. 
You know, it's amazing over the years that concepts for self-help change. I promise you that if you were to go to the libraries and the bookstores 20 years ago and look on the shelves and find books on self-help, they're a completely different set of lists than what you'll find today when you go to the library and go to the bookstores. Because everything changes. How I should view myself, my self-esteem, how I should get in better shape, and how the, all these things change. Remember when eggs were terrible for you? Come on. I lost 80 pounds eating six eggs a day. Come on. I, I, eggs are good for you, and I love them. More the merrier. Like I said, if one steak is good, two is better. I mean, that's how big people think about food. I mean, we like food. One egg's good, five's better. I mean, fact. But you remember when they were bad for you, and you could, should quit eating them? And then you should take the yolks out and just eat the egg whites. What good is that? That's worthless. Who came up with that concept? But then all of a sudden, now they're good for us again. You should eat them. Remember when coffee was bad for you? Man, yeah, so you know, I don't remember that. No, that was a thing for a while, even a couple years ago. But now they're saying, man, it's a diuretic. You ought to have at least one cup a day. Really? If one cup, you know, one's good, two's better. I mean, just saying. Everything in life changes. I mean, how many of us can think of five things that were bad for us, and all of a sudden they're good for you, they found out? Aaron, asparagus, it's great. <laughs> it is. You cook anything in enough butter, it's good. <laughs> Just saying. Right? The Word of God never changes. And what was good for us 100 years ago, 200 years ago, when we started receiving copies of the text of God's Word, it's still good. Nothing's changed. He says, forever, O Lord, that word is settled in, in heaven. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, says forever, the word of God is re- going to remain. Matthew 24, verse 35, it's forever. But here's the problem. We've kicked the Bible out of everything in life. It's amazing. Go back and do a study of all of our, almost every one of our presidents. Here's something that you may not know about almost every one of our previous presidents up until the last six or eight. Those first 10, 12 presidents, they were itinerant preachers. You know why our foundations of America were so great? Because they were anchored in God's Word. And it's amazing as you go, and I've never been there, I've only seen the videos of it, but if you go around the rotunda of the White House, there's the bust, the statues of the bust of our previous men. They were preachers. They were students of God's Word. They immerse themselves in the Bible. And that's why they wrote with wisdom the laws and the, and the things that guide our country today. But the very thing that formed our country has been kicked out of our country. It's amazing that we can no longer put a Gideon Bible in motels and can't put them in, in, in schools across the country hardly, but we can distribute them amongst the prisons. Well, bless God, they need it, Right? We don't need it in the schools. Yeah, we just wait till they get in trouble and get kicked into prison, then we give it to them. It's crazy. Folks, we're losing our foundation. What can we do about it? Get back into it. Make it a priority in our lives. Make it the foundation of your family. Inside the Gideon New Testament, it says this. I'll close with this. The Bible contains the mind of God 
the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, its decisions are unchangeable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. All the things that we just read about from God's Word. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good the design, and God's glory its end. It should fulfill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. I love that statement that's put in the, the opening of Gideon Bible. Because it's the very truth, and this is the very thing that will give us life. But starting with the very thing, he says, I have given you the word so that you may know me. So, my statement this morning that I'm going to close with is this. If you don't know Jesus Christ, a lot of this won't make sense to you. In fact, I've had so many people over the years say, well, I read it and it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's because the word of God tells us it's the word of God that works in us. The Holy Spirit works in us to teach us these things. And without the help of the Holy Spirit working in your life, you're not going to understand it. So that's the starting point. It's not joining a church. It's not doing good or giving to the needs of people. It's not becoming a Methodist or Lutheran or Church of God, Church of Christ or anything else. It comes down to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know him? And once you know him, he said, this is how you can begin to live for me. This is how that relationship can grow. I'm going to speak to you, and then you can speak back to me. And through that communication, we'll begin to love each other and live for each other. So do you know him? Say, if you do, that's wonderful. But if you don't, that's your starting point, to take the word of God and to know him and to begin a relationship with him through salvation. And then number two, if you do know him, how's that relationship coming along? Guys, I'm just going to say it like it is. I've had so many guys come to me and say, I don't like reading. We had no problem reading a hot rod magazine or a hunting magazine or whatever it else that we, you know, a new toy that we bought. What about this book? Are you in it? And there are tools that can help you, men. You need to be the leaders of your homes. You need to be the leader of your family. You need to be the leader of the, in the church not the women. And you can't do that unless you get in God's word. And there are tools. There are things that will help you. There's plenty of Bible apps that you can listen to the word of God and meditate on it and pray it back to the Lord. But quit making excuses. Quit making excuses. Man up and read. Man up and get in God's word. Get some character, get some guts about you and get in God's word. You need to do that. If you want a family that's going to be pleasing to God, if you want a life that's going to be pleasing to God, if you want a life that God's going to honor, get in His Word. 
So I've been in church my entire life. Big deal. Being in church does not substitute spending time with God and His Word. So I probably, I, it doesn't matter what you've done. Get in God's Word. Let it change your life. If you'll do it, you'll never regret it.